I've learned over a long period of time, don't promise nothing. And then anything you get, you see, any little thing you get, you're like ahead of the game. Oh, that's just a true, that's absolute truism. And I and, and I, I can only say to you that if you uh, if you're expecting anything, you better go someplace else for the next 45 minutes because it's Friday night and the yeast is beginning to bubble. Speaking of yeast, uh, how do they pronounce it here in the east? Do they pronounce it yeast or do they pronounce it east? Yeast. They they pronounce the Y. Do you know that in the effete areas of northern Indiana? It is considered very, very proper to not pronounce the Y for some reason or other. And, and uh, <laughs> yes, and they don't pronounce the U in pablum, uh, which is uh, another very uh, difficult thing for those. But, of course, on the other hand, there is a... Have you seen this big signboard? Oh, there are signs everywhere. Speaking of signboards, have you seen this big signboard? You know, the one that, the one that shows uh, Paul Newman standing there, you know? And he's sort of standing on the horizon, and and you see a Cadillac in the background, and you see a chick lying prone on the ground, and above, or just below Newman in white letters, it says Why HUD. Well, now there's a, there's a signpost. I I can think of at least fifteen things that rhyme with HUD that I would like to suggest should be written on that signboard below the ad. Now, I'm not going to promote any graffiti here. You know what is it, graffiti? Oh, it's a very good word. Graffiti means stuff. And that's a very polite Italian word referring to the stuff guys write on those wine ads that you see in the subway. Now, you thought it was something else, that stuff they were writing, all those words and those pictures. Actually, if you, if you, you, know, if you find yourself embarrassed reading all those things written on the side of the frozen juice machines down there at Columbus Circle... And, you know, you're standing there reading them, and you don't want anybody to see that you're reading them. And if somebody does catch you, turn to them and say, well, actually, I'm a student of graffiti, which is a native folk art. And it uh, comes... Hey, now, come on, Walt. Let him alone for a minute. We're having enough trouble getting him organized. Dude. <laughs> Let him alone. You guys are talking. You can talk it out when we get out. I just, just stop a minute there. Now, I hate to bother both of you. Now, while we're at the subject of graffiti... Uh, seriously, though, I, I, I don't often ask listener types to do anything, and I'm not going to ask you here. But I have a suspicion that that sign was designed to have something written on it. Because the bottom half looks like a blackboard. Have you seen it? It's black. It's half black. All right, now look at me dumbly there. It's half black, and you see nothing but blackness. And in a little corner up in the upper left hand, it says, Why HUD? Well, now, there are other things, too, about that sign. For example, I swear, and I hate to say it, I'm not making any suggestions here, but, but the character there, Paul Newman, the character in the ad, is standing in exactly the same pose that almost all the Vogue models use. I'm sorry, have you looked at it? Look at it carefully. That's a Vogue model pose, and I'm not making any suggestions. Don't leave. I'm just saying that's the way the ad is. Now, I'm, I, these things are sometimes out of out of the hands of the artist, but there it is, you know. And uh, I'm not making any suggestions, but I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to look at all those signs that say, Why HUD? And I'm going to expect to see some interesting graffiti. No, I haven't made any suggestions. I'm just saying it's probably it's what's going to happen, you know. But while we're on the subject of that, as long as we're, we're here uh, concerned with the Saturday night and 
what's about why HUD. You know, you'd be surprised at how many uh, how many words are, are interesting to us because of the sound of the word over and above and beyond the meaning of the word. Now, for example, HUD, you know, I can think of about 15 words that rhyme with HUD. Immediately your mind picks it up. You know, if I said, all right, look, I said, all right, Charlie, uh, uh, I want the free association here, and I'm going to give you a quick word. Uh, what does it remind you of? Uh, HUD. You said blood. So, all right, I'll try it again. I'll uh, try it again. HUD, stud. Uh, try, try it once again. Uh, HUD, mud. Oh, boy, it's awful exciting. It's it's awful exciting. And, hey, fellas, it's awful exciting. You know, I hate to bother all of you in there. Speaking of the exciting things. I'm from New Jersey and I'm proud of it. Hoboken is my home, home, home. I'm from Hoboken and I brag about it. falling apart I'm <laughs> what a gas well I I uh, I'd just like to suggest however you you stick with it you know there are a lot of things if you well, the ads all over are, are beginning to change our well the entire complexion of our world I I uh, I don't know I do you do you ever see life magazine I do, do we have any soft mother music in there please please hey come on come on quickly when I say it I want you to do it on page 14 of the current issue of Life magazine. Now, not only is life a magazine, life is also a cereal. Did he have a bowl of life tomorrow morning? With a little sugar and a little cream on it. Nothing like a little sweetening to make life sing. And some sliced strawberries or maybe some crushed peaches. Nothing like a little peach to make life swing. On page 14 of the current issue of Life magazine, a lovely picture. A picture of mother. And I read the copy. She may be a mother, but she's a woman nonetheless. With womanly instincts you can't deny. So don't. Instead, give her Gilead lingerie of chemstrand nylon. Gentle, wispy drifts of it. Embroidered with a handful of flowers. Penoir, about $12. Gown, about $6. And see why nothing but nylon makes her feel... So female. Chemstrand New York One, a division of Monsanto Chemical Company, makes Chemstrand Nylon. For the woman she loves to be, Mother Imagery Lingerie by Gilead. Bring it up quickly. Mother Image Lingerie by Gilead. Yes, mothers out there, do you fit the mother image? 
Well, I'm just asking a leading question, actually. Do you fit the mother image? Speaking of the mother image, I suggest you look at the current copy of Life magazine, page 14, and then you'll see what the mother image is. Oi, 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 oi. My old lady standing there in a red bathrobe. Oh, what a mama. <laughs> I don't know how Edgar Guest would handle this one. Now, I, I, I'm sure that Nick Kenny has written many an atrocity about mother, hasn't he, in his past? I must have. Well, I'm, I wonder if this was the mother he had in mind. Well, as a matter of fact, when I... When, you know, I've, I've oftentimes screamed aloud at 4 o'clock in the morning, Oh, Mama! And, you know, just thinking about it. And it must be this mother that I'm thinking about. It's all there is to it, you know. I, is it, you know, they've, they've often talked about people with a mother fixation. You know, you hear this always, a reference to all kinds of playwrights and one thing and another going on. Maybe this is the mother they've been thinking about. I've often wondered how you can... Because, you know, most of the mothers I know look like warthogs. At dawn, you know, and, and uh, they're nice and they have nice, honest ideas and honest, wonderful thoughts and that. Now, I'm not being anti-mother, you know, it's just the way the light strikes you, you know. It's, that's a, George, what a lovely mother. I don't know whether this is Kafka that wrote this copy or whether it's just pure surrealism. Would you please pass this in? This is going to go in with the great file. It's like the other day. I went aboard a ship. Oh, boy, this is a great world we're living in. I just wish that every one of you could have been invited to a thing I was invited to. By some mistake, I was invited to this thing, and it was held aboard this uh, this big Italian liner, you know, Cristoforo or Cristo Cristoforo Colombo. Is that the way they pronounce it? Christopher Columbus of the Italian lines. Well, it, I got a wire, and apparently they think I am a lady editor. Uh, yes, I, I'm because my, my first name is spelled with a J. I get invited to some real gassy things, you know. And uh, apparently, they think I'm a lady editor, and I do a program of talk. I'll never forget one time I'm working in another city. In fact, the city we'll call, for purposes of argument, Philadelphia. It's not actually a city; it's uh, it's a place. They call it the Philadelphia. And I'm working in Philadelphia, and I got a letter from a guy. It says. Uh, uh, dear Miss Shepherd, start out, dear Miss Shepherd, uh, I'm here at the Bellevue Stratford Hotel and I'm listening to your program and I, I just must say, you do the finest woman's program I've ever heard. And uh, since this is true, I would like to bring a client of mine up to be interviewed on your program. Now, my client doesn't go on many programs, but a program as fine as yours, with such deep insight and such a wonderful view of the woman's world, uh, this program, I feel, would be just fitting for my client. Signed, Joe Watanabe, famous press agent, hard-hitting man, and dynamic uh, moat in the eye of 20th century civilization. <laughs> it's like the other day, did I tell you about the time I got, I got a letter from the Who's Who people? Of course you know about that, I mean, I mentioned that one. From the Who's Who, there's a, there's a thing called Who's Who of American women, you know, in this country. Well, I got a letter from, it says, uh, it says, uh, Dear Miss Shepherd, uh, uh, it's very hard to get in who's who of American women. And, uh, as a matter of fact, this is uh, considered a signal honor among American women. And it's because it's very hard to get into who's who among American women. It's very difficult, Miss Shepherd. And we would like to tell you right now 
that our investigators have been investigating your career very solidly all the way down the line, and we have decided that you are up for inclusion in the next issue of Who's Who Among American Women. Only because of your tremendous achievements as a woman in 20th century civilization. Has anybody out there looked up in on page 14 of the current life? I, it's it's an April 26 issue, I believe. You'll find it. Uh, and uh, if uh, one of you would uh, look it up there, would you please? Uh, no, I guess not. I mean, that's pretty strong stuff for the kids there. That that mother there's that's the last of the red hot mamas. Actually, I suppose that's what they're referring to. That's a very different kind of mother. Uh, while we're on the subject of mother, we have with us here uh, the paper book gallery. I know. Actually, that's, that's a wonderful place for a station break. Speaking of the great mother of us all, it's uh, <laughs> W O R is your mother here, and uh, that reminds me of the time I got hooked on papaya juice. Well, we have uh, W O R AM and FM New York, and we'll be here until midnight. And this is Friendly Fred here. Old Friendly. You know, speaking of old Friendly, I, uh, I don't know. You know sometimes I wonder. I, I just don't know. Reminds me of this piece that I read the other day. You know, growing within us, each one of us, there's this little thing, this little bug. I, I tell you, it's in the air, you know. Uh, you, uh, artists are supposed to describe what's in the air. Well, there's a funny thing in the air. A very funny thing. Have you found yourself recently with a with a peculiar urge to to write something on the wall or do anything like that? Or to... Uh, you ever find yourself standing around a party when everybody's talking, you know, and, and it's going on? You know what I mean by... by the game, you know, people are all talking about stuff, and and you want to really say something wild, you know? Just not, it's not even wild. You just want to all of a sudden insert that one little sliver of reality in it. You know, speaking of reality, let's think about that today. And um, well, that's a hard question to bring up on a Friday night, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, reality—that's love will kill all kinds of things over at the diner there. If you have your radio going there, be careful. Uh, but, uh, well, I, I think we might as well go right into it, reality. Do you have any of that sweet mother music there? Bring it up. San Francisco. A muttering, red-haired mailman wrote a new rule in the manual of political dissent yesterday. If you can't beat City Hall, flood it. Did you hear about this? It's a, it's a guy who got bugged, you know. Somehow, hold it there, Eddie. Somehow, uh, being teed off is probably uh, the the most the most prevalent feeling that is prevalent <laughs> in the 20th century. And nobody quite knows what he's bugged about. It just seems like the whole the whole thing is is bugging you. And of course, we have to find scapegoats constantly for it. Like whoever you're against politically is the guy that's causing it. 
is whoever's against that, and that's it. You'll just lay it out like that. But but did you read about that guy in San Francisco? What a great moment. Please, bring up, uh, I think this time, no, the other one, the other one, this this time. This is a salute to the human soul. A muttering red-haired mailman wrote a new rule in the manual of political dissent yesterday. If you can't beat City Hall, flood it. That's it. I've been wanting to do this for a long time. Commented Noel Volts, 31, after he was finally subdued and booked at city prison. I thought City Hall needed a flushing out. Entering through an unguarded revolving door, he patrolled the empty building. And while he did it, the City Hall, he won. Turned on all the fire hoses on all four halls and floors, flooding some areas with over four inches of water. Ripped down an air raid shelter sign and overturned 427 cuspidors. Overturned a beautiful model of an urban renewal project in the foyer. Wrote three things on the base of said model. If he was a critic of the current regime, he glanced at his questioner and said as he hurried up to the fourth floor with an axe in his hand, You might say that. When he was brought to bay, a city employee at work in the second floor office heard someone try to open his locked door. It was a taxation department. The employee investigated, saw the deluge roaring down the steps, and called police. Four officers wrestled Volt into submission as he hung over a railing 30 feet above the rotunda floor. Damage, unfortunately, was declared minor. Volt, however, was booked on suspicion of burglary. Because there is nothing that has anything to do with hoses in the city hall. Patrick Patrolman Buckman sighed, who finally pinched him. He said he didn't seem to be able to give us any real reason. Just muttered something about city hall. What do you mean real reason, Buckman? You know what it is. There's ducking out of a dad. <laughs> oh, that poor clown. You know. <laughs> you know, we salute him as the American of the week. And uh, I like the idea of turning on all the fire hoses because he figures it needed a good flushing out. I mean, his choice of words was good. <laughs> Make of that what you will. You know, on this, <laughs> as long as as long as we're we're going to do that, I I I remember one of the few times I've ever seen somebody really pop his cork and uh, do it. You might say creatively. Was this? Uh, well, I, I could I could tell you about this time. This 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 friend of mine who had this father. He had. You know, it's funny. Uh, I I don't know what what people think of other people's fathers. 
but generally other people's fathers are more like fathers than your father always. You know, the real fathers. Well, this guy had a father that had blue jowls. He had blue jowls and little tiny, tiny blue eyes. You know, the kind that look like they're sunken way in? He was a real father. He was probably gray at the age of eight. You know that kind of guy that uh, walks around with a gray suit that's got little prickles all over it? Uh, a, a real, you know what I mean? You know, you know the kind of person. And, and he was always hard. Pow! Every time I'm over there at the house, you know, oh, gee, we're down the basement here. Hey, come on up here, will ya? And, and poor kid would go running up, falling down the stairs, running up the stairs, banging at the door, trying to get it. Well, every time this guy. This is. Uh, you know, there are few people today. I guess. I guess temper is almost a lost art. I'll give you a brass figgy with bronze oak leaf palm if you can identify the name of the terrible tempered Mister. Who? Who? All right. All right. I'll tell you this. Who was? Who was the chick that he always was hanging around with? The powerful. All right. And what was? <laughs> what was the name? You know it. How do you know this? Well, what what was the terrible-tempered Mr. Blank always teed off about? No, 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 no. It was much more cosmic than that. I'll never forget the time when the motorman was asked that question in one strip by another character. And the character said, what is he mad about? And he turns to the to the other character and he said, well... I guess he's just mad. <laughs> Which I think kind of said it. You know, he's just mad. Well, temper has disappeared almost completely from the scene, except the time that I remember this this father that I knew, this, this real father who had a red face and his collars were too tight. And he was always yelling and hollering. And one day he came home with a new car. Beautiful new car. And, you know, a new car in the neighborhood in those days was a real event. You know, I mean, a real brand-new car in the Depression. And this guy, of course, I think terrible-tempered people always make it anyway. Uh, he was the only guy in our neighborhood I knew who, who bought a new car then. And so, obviously, his temper didn't hold him back. Do you know that there was, a, there was recently a, uh, a, uh, an, a study made? I think it was one of the California universities, Ed. This might... This might... This might uh, in a way, uh, fulfill some of your suspicions. It was a psychological study made on top executives in countries, in, in this country, top executives in big companies throughout America. And they found that a large percentage of them were distinctly neurotic in one way or another. And one of the things that most of them had was a tremendously overpowering temper. <laughs> says this came from some kind of a deeply based neuroticism and their gigantic temper took them right through the mail room when they were 19 years old knocking over the mimeograph machine as they go rushing on their way on up towards the accounting department where they landed at the age of 22 within six months they have knocked over all all the desks and the waste baskets there and they're now on their way to the sales department well that's the way this guy was tough son of a gun and have you ever have you ever known somebody that you just when you were a kid you were just scared of you were just real scared oh yes oh you must have just just real scared of them and and this guy was a tough son of a gun and the kids were scared of him I can remember we'd be out playing ball and Paul would be out at second base or he'd be out in the weeds out in the stickers playing left field 
And, and the door would slam open and you'd hear, Paul! And let me tell you, there was no, nobody said, why is Schwartz quitting? You know, no one says, oh, come on, come on, let her find me. He'd go, Paul! And you'd hear this scuffling and this scurrying, you'd see a cloud of dust, and this kid would be on his way, man. He would just like a shot, like a bat out of hell. You know, he'd go home. Well, one day, he came home with his new car. <laughs> and up to this point, he had owned a car which was an old Ford. And now he got this beautiful new car, and he drove it up in the back, and I happened to be there when it came home, because, of course, the kid had been, had been talking about it for three days. You know, they got a new car. And when is it getting here? Well, it's getting here tonight. My father's bringing it home from work. He's bringing the whole, the, the whole thing back. It's a new car. Well, there were nine kids gathered out in the backyard to see the new car come up the driveway. Comes up. He also drove like an insane madman, which most guys who are wildly with this gigantic temper drive at. He comes, the dust flies, and there is this big, beautiful car. Wow. It's standing there, and it's royal blue. We're all looking at this car. Well, out comes the mother. And he had this, let, let me tell you, talk about the mother image. He had this mother under his thumb. He, just like that, he said, Is supper ready? Well, <laughs> she wants to look at the new car. He said, Get supper. Well, she turns plump and she goes. And she wants to look at the new car. So <laughs> he's out there with a dust cloth and he's dusting off the front and glaring around at the kids and all the kids. He says, Keep your hands off the back. Well, he's dusting the back, and the kids are looking, we're all sort of standing around a big wide circle like this. He's, get away! And he's, he's backing it up now, and he gets, it, he gets it in position, and the guy next door comes out. I remember the guy next door, of course, it's a big thing, you know, the neighborhood. guy next door comes out, and he's standing on the back porch, and he looks out, and he says, Hey, Schwartz, you got a new car? And there's a brief pause, and he says, Yeah! And he goes back, and he's dusting the front of it, and he's, he's over there now, he's working on the grill, see? And, and the guy's looking, everybody's looking. He gets into the car then, and he starts... He's one of those guys that never gives a car a moment's rest. You know, the kind that guns that motor? The it's... He kicks that thing right in the thing, you know, and he pushes down, and a cloud of smoke comes out of the back. And he drives it into the garage. He pulls it into the garage, and he stops. You see, there's about 14 inches now protruding out beyond the back end where the doors are. His car is too big for the garage, which he had built one year ago for his little car. And there's a silence there. He backs up again. Backs out. Well, the guy, this idiot, is standing on the porch next door, and he says, Hey, Schwartz, your car don't fit the garage, huh? Oi, 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 oi. Mrs. Schwartz in the kitchen, I can hear her. Mrs. Schwartz is now broken out in a fantastic... This is the first time anybody's ever said in the old man Schwartz. And she's breaking out in a sweat. She drops her Brillo pad down the sink, the whole bit, you know. Hey, she hears it. And, 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 and young Schwartz standing next to me, he's white, just white as a sheet. He knows the old man now. You know, you don't say things like that. Well, a guy hollers again, Hey, Schwartz, what's the matter? You can't fit, huh? Schwartz looks out and he says, No! He looks at the garage. He has just paid $750 for this frame garage, you know, which, by the way, was the only garage in the neighborhood that was built specifically. You know, it was a garage. He built it with the doors that, you know, the, the kind of, you know, the doors that pull up like that. We, you know, we had garages, but nobody had the things that go up. 
He had the things with the weights and the pulleys and the strings and everything else. In fact, when old man Schwartz wasn't home, about 27 kids on afternoons when we were all alone would play a game where we would hang on the bottom of the doors and one kid would push him up and everybody would hang on, you know, and try to get folded up under the roof and down we'd go. You know, the whole bit, it was a big thing. See, that's garage, a very special garage. Remember that. It was a garage, painted white with little green trim. So, so Schwartz looks at the garage. He gets into his new car, and at that moment, I saw one of the great moves against City Hall. The guy on the porch is looking down. A third remark, don't fit, huh? You're going to have to get it fixed, huh? Schwartz goes, ah, he starts the car. He puts it in first. He goes right into the garage. Remember, the car has nine miles on it. By George, you know what I found out then? That car fit that garage. Schwartz proved it. And I want to tell you this. That son of a gun was a vice president of one of the biggest outfits in the entire northern Indiana region. And at that moment, I learned about leadership. Oy, 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 what a, what a thing. And, and, and you know, uh, he, he swung the back end of the garage. I'll illustrate to you. It was a funny thing. From that day on, that garage not only had, had a side door, it had swinging doors that went up. It had a strange-looking scoop at the bottom. He just pushed the back end of that garage out about 14 and a half inches, just enough to clear the back bumper. It swung just like that. Well, you know, I mean, you can't, you can't push things. I mean, you know, I mean, there are sometimes, I, I, I believe like, uh, who was it? Wasn't it Dale Carnegie says you get ahead on a friendly smile? And it's much better to, to, to lead people than to push them. Well, Schwartz didn't exactly push them. What he did was hit them more. I mean, it's the difference between a push and a belt. And, uh, oh yes, this is very different. I'll, I'll never forget the, the picture, speaking of, of great executive. Do you remember the picture of the great executive? A famous picture of him being carried out of his plant with two soldiers carrying him out. Do you remember that? Sitting on a swivel chair. Do you remember that picture? Well, it always reminded me of Schwartz because I remember of a couple of, oh, what, 27 semesters later, I got a job as, a, as an office boy in this giant steel mill where this guy happened to be a vice president. And, and, and it was a funny thing, you know, it's, it's a very funny thing to work in the office with the father of a good friend of yours. You know, how, you know what I'm, I'm, I'm saying? It's a very, very peculiar Because up to this point, I had just been, you know, the friend of this kid. And, and I could always run home. And, and, you know, when the, when the yelling really got up to a, a, you know, big crescendo, I was out the back. I was running through the cabbage patch and down the alley. Forget it, you know. I'd get home sweating. Well, well <laughs> I, I got this job as a mail boy, you know, where you run around different offices. You carry a big thing full of mail. Well, I never associated him with really working in a place. You know, I knew he was a big guy. 
but I never associated. And, and it says it had, there was his name on this mail. I had to go to this office. When I arrive up at this office, and there's a lot of scared-looking girls sitting around at typewriters and things, and I arrive and I throw the mail down on the desk, and the girl says, don't ever throw the mail on the desk like that. Mr. Schwartz does not like people to throw the mail on the desk. Well, I didn't think of Mr. Schwartz. You know, that kind of Mr. Schwartz. So I says, okay, baby. <laughs> Out I go. And about 15 minutes later, I'm back on my rounds. I go running and whoop, in goes the mail. But this time, there was a guy. I could see the back. There was a guy over by the water cooler. I throw the mail. He turns around. He says, who threw that mail? Oh. It is the Mr. Schwartz. Hey, kid, you throw the mail? I said, Mr. Schwartz. He looked at me. He recognized me as the kid that was always playing second base with his son, you know. The kid was out in the backyard. He says, don't ever throw the mail. Yes, <laughs> yes, sir, Mr. Schwartz. Yes, sir. <laughs> yes. Close the door when you go out and don't slam it. I closed the door. And you know, after that day, it was the, the friendship that I had for his son, it was very different after that day. I could never quite, it was like, I don't know, it's like, it's you know how some brothers don't ever quite make it with each other? Whereas friends will, all of a sudden I became this guy's brother or something. I never could, and you know, we're just kids, I was like 16 or 17, it was in the summer, and, and I'd see this other guy, and it was a funny thing. He'd say, say, uh, I, I, uh, Dad um, says he saw you at the plant. I'd say, yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Uh, you're going down to the show tonight? Yeah, yeah, I'm going to the show tonight. Oh, uh, I was going to go, but I don't think I'll go. I thought i seen that picture. It was a very strange thing. I don't know how to explain it, except that that was the way it was. And every day I would come in and see Schwartz. I'd come in there with the mail. And for some reason or other, maybe it was because he knew me. It was like, it must be, I suppose there's two ways that father types can take it when their son works in the plant. And I wasn't his son, you see, at all. I guess he looked upon all kids as kids. And he had a kid, there are kids. Get shut up, my kid, shut up. Get out of there. God, get, lay your hands on that car, will you? Shut up. I remember one time when, 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 when Schwartz and I were late for school one morning, and this madman took us to school, and we sat in the back seat, and of course he always drove like he was out of his skull. I never said, we're going, and we'd go past cars, and he'd get out of the way! We're going, and, and you know, cops, I mean, this guy was a, was, was a vice president, you know, he didn't mess around with people. And we could turn along, and I'm sitting in the back, and Schwartz is sitting in the back. And, and you know how kids are. Once in a while, we start, and Schwartz belts me in the elbow, and I belt him. And finally, I belt him in the short rod. <laughs> we're giggling, you know, and hollering, hitting each other. We're about, you know, we're about 9 or 10 or 12 or something. We're hitting each other. And Schwartz turns around and says, Sit still, Bonia! Wow. I mean... I mean, you know, I mean, this this was official. I mean, this was an official father, you know, and, and we're sitting back there like that, and we're whistling through the night. Well, we we arrive up in front of the school, 
and Schwartz stops the car. I never saw anybody, you know, this guy, this guy could stop, he, he had, you know, there's one thing about the real executive types, they got foot power, they got elbow power, they got head power, Ed, they got sharp knees, that everything makes the scene with them, you know, so we, we stop, he reaches over in the back, he opens the door, slams it on and says, get out, we both get out, you know, this is, uh, you know, it's amazing that some people live like this, get out, we get out. And he says, and don't be late when you're coming home, Paul. Meaning me, too, you know. He's not going to, you know, he's not going to let me get away with him. We, we, we're going up there with our lunch, you know, and, and there's about 500 kids standing around there, you know, waiting. He closes the door. He starts to go. He stops again. And he says, hey. Schwartz turns around. We both go back to the car, you know. You got a dime for lunch? A dime for lunch? They had a seven-cent blue plate special at the cafeteria. Consisted of wet noodles. With that, that plastic gravy they make out of, out of paste or something, you know. That was the worst thing you could eat down there. And Schwartz always tried to hide that he was, you know, You got a dime for lunch? This guy was so was not, yes. Okay. <laughs> Away he goes. Let's get on with the commercials here. Speaking of, of the mother of us all, we have with us the Paper Book Gallery, which is down on 399 6th Avenue, just off A Street in the Village. And if you're going to come into the Village over the weekend, heaven help you. If you're going to make the scene, I certainly would suggest that you stop by the Paper Book Gallery. This is the last time, the last day, up through Sunday, that they're going to have this wild insane record thing that they've got going and look they're 44 cents a piece what can you lose and for a listener they're two for 44 really or is it 48 48 cents it's ridiculous six for one dollar if you're a listener so uh, t tell them you're a listener and they'll just shove a whole bunch of records in your hand and say go man <laughs> it's a paper book gallery on sixth avenue it's the only place now there's only one paper book gallery 3996. It's next to the Howard Johnsons down there. Just off A Street in the village. Okay? Fine. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know whether I should tell any more stories about the terrible tempered Mr. Mr. <laughs> well, I'll tell you one more thing he did. The thing that really bothered me about him, that really I could not put together at that time, but the thing now which really does frighten me in so many ways is this man was the most deeply religious man I've ever known. Now, doesn't that scare you? He really was. And as a matter of fact, he was famous as a, as a lay preacher in, uh, in the church that he belonged to. And I, I, remember <laughs> I remember once in a great while, because of, of, of one exigency or another, I would arrive on Sunday with this kid, you know, the kid, and we would we would file into the congregation, and his father would be preaching, and he would be up there in front with his tight collar, with his red face, with those eyes, and he, he was the kind of guy, you know, as I said, he had this kind of iron gray hair, he was like an iron gray life, 
and he would stand up there and he would look down at the congregation and it's it's wild to see an entire congregation of adults kids and everything all of a sudden become seven and they're all sitting there and he would look down with those with those steel mibs that he used for eyes you know the kind of <laughs> the, the, the steel seas he looks down there and he would say today's text is about love and everybody would look up and then he would he, he would start out and he would he would have he was the kind of guy you see who completely dominated board meetings there was no fooling around and i'll never forget one time when he got off on the subject of unions <laughs> his department was the only department in the entire mill that was not only scared to join a union they were even scared to wear union suits you know the kind that button in the back long winter underwear they were so scared he was that kind well I remember sitting in the congregation and he's looking down at us and he says today's text is about love and there's a long pregnant silence we you know we want to see what he's going to say about love you see it's a pretty interesting subject right there he'd say love is beauty and as we look about us and see all the beauties as we look at the forests and the birds and all the lovely children playing in the park those Christian people among us feel the love which is the love of all of us and the love of God love is beauty and now we will all sing number 163 from the book Rock of Ages for me. Well, I'll tell you, this guy, everybody would stand up and they'd start singing. You see, he didn't wait for the piano player. I mean, there's no such thing as, as an accompaniment with this guy. Rock of ages, clap for me. I will love. And he bellows it out. And the piano plays, and everybody's trying to sing, trying to keep up with him. And, and of course, like most dynamic terrible-tempered Mr. Bang types. He had absolutely no sense of rhythm. He had no sense of music. He had solid lead ears. And, and uh, he all, all the imagination to go with it. Well, he would finish this thing, and I'm sitting there watching this. this uh, you know, I, th this to me for a long time was what religion represented. It really was. It got like this. And he would say, And now the ushers will move forward, and we will take the offering. You never saw such shelling out in your life. I'll tell you, if there was anyone who ever did the Lord's worth and the Lord's work, it was this man. Those two great big shine steel mibsies looking down at you. The ushers would leap out of their seats, their pews. They would rush forward with the baskets. And he would give them one glare. They would turn. And those guys weren't collecting. They were doing more than collecting. I'll tell you that they were wrenching it out of people. They were wringing it out of them. And they would pass that thing, and Schwartz would watch each basket as it went. He would stand up there, watch them baskets, and each guy would reach into his pocket and would dump it in, and he would watch. Beauty is love, and love is beauty. Amen. Rock of ages, cloth with me. All my love, I want with thee. Rock of ages, Beauty is love and love is truth. And now I want all the children.
children to file forward, and we will go downstairs for the special Sunday school lesson. Let me tell you, those kids, you'd hear creaking the knees, and those kids would line up, and they would move, move. And old God's bowling balls up there in that heaven rolled, and it was another ten strike for good. 